0: It says, "Ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking." Don't just ask once. (laughs) When you were a kid, you didn't—if you wanted a bike, you didn't just ask once. You kept asking until they just, like that, like that—that that that king in the Bible that finally said, "I'm just going to give it to her because she won't leave me alone. She won't go away. She keeps bugging me." Okay, fine. We'll get you a bike, okay? And then, was, then what'd you do? You left the bike in the out in the rain. <laughs> so, amen. But but that's really our desire, amen. We we just had a uh, one of our granddaughters is in preschool or something like that, and some little paper she did. She wrote on there that when she's, they ask her some question like, what do you do after school? Well, I go home and I help Daddy cut the grass. She's not even in regular school yet. She wants to be like Daddy. They posted a picture of her the other day sitting on the hood of the, the car while Daddy was changing the oil. She wants to be like her Daddy. And I can just see this particular one. I can see her with grease on her hands. It's a can just see it. It doesn't mean she's not a girl. She just likes to do stuff with daddy. And there's nothing wrong with that. Amen. And really, that's what our lesson is all about trying to be like our daddy. Amen. Because there's something about daddy. I just want to go help him cut the grass and I want to help him work on the car and and so we want to be like Jesus. Because we have been made heirs. We're going to go right into the book of uh, we're going to read the book of Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 through 7 again. That's our kind of our launch scripture for this lesson that in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1. Praise God. Galatians chapter 4 verse 1 through 7. Now I say that the heir as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from the servant, though he be Lord of all. So as a child, there's a lot of learning going on. He, my, my son won't let her work on the car just yet. But if she keeps hanging around and she starts getting to an age where she can start learning sizes of wrenches and all that kind of stuff, eventually he's going to release her one day and say, okay, here, you do it. Because she's going to want to. And so there comes a day, but there's a, there's a time of training, but, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that they might, that we might receive the adoption of sons and because you are sons god has sent forth his spirit the spirit of his son into your hearts so we have the spirit of a son in our hearts praise god crying abba father wherefore they thou art no more a servant but now you're a son and if a son then you are heir of god through christ we are an heir we are heirs of God. We are heirs of the things of God. Everything that belongs to him belongs to us. Like that prodigal son when when the father put the ring on his finger and put the robe around him and put it, the shoes on his feet, he had every bit of authority of that father once that ring made it on his finger. And he took us out of this world, out of our mess and our muck and all our trouble that we got ourselves into, and he put his robe of righteousness on us, and he put that ring on our finger, and he made us to be, to have his authority in our hand, at our disposal right now. Paul speaking to the church in Corinth says, Be ye followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. Be followers of me, even as I am of Christ. And so we are talking about these these various different subjects today. We talked about uh, the the idea of manifestation, about how Jesus Christ was God manifested in the flesh. He, He wasn't manifested in the flesh. God was doing us a favor. He was manifesting all of his attributes and all of his character Inside the flesh of a human being. Why did he do that? Because he knew we needed an example to follow. So that we would have, what does the Bible say, thou art without excuse, oh man? <laughs> so we would have no excuse. Because Jesus Christ lived on this earth as a human being. He felt pain. He felt hunger. He felt loneliness. He felt all these things. He even went to the Father in prayer and said, if this cup could pass from me, and we read that scripture and sometimes, and we think that he said that, and then a second later he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'd like to think that he sat there for a while, waiting, because he prayed that prayer, waiting to see if God would change his mind. Don't we do that sometimes? (laughs) I don't want to have to do this, God. If you, there's another way, right? And then we wait and we hear crickets for a while and we say, okay, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. So he was, even in that situation, Jesus Christ was teaching us a principle about how we're supposed to follow him. So yes, we can serve God in this, Oh, carnal flesh that we have. Right? So he gave it, he was, he was all the things that God wanted to be to his creation walking around on this earth. He modeled it for us. He modeled compassion. We talked about that last week. He modeled being a servant. There was nobody he would not go and hang around. Was there? He didn't care. If they were lepers, it didn't matter to him. And rightfully so, he was the creator robed in flesh. He wasn't about to to turn away from his own creation. That's what he came here for. There's just so much. It's, it's, it's so many-faceted diamond that there's so much that he came here for. But, and one of those things was to be an example. And that's why Paul said Follow me as I follow Christ. Be followers of me as I also am of Christ. In, that, in the Jameson Fawcett and Brown commentary in 1 Corinthians 11 1, it says that that word followers means imitators. So you could read that, be imitators of me as I am also of Christ. Right? To what my little granddaughter's doing is imitating her daddy whatever she sees him out there pushing the lawnmower she wants to go walk behind him and push the lawnmower she's not really cutting the grass but she's getting the idea right and nobody's making her do it she wants to do it amen so Apostle Paul told the, the Corinthian church and by extension us today that to follow his life that is devoted to Christ's example. Right? Imitate me as I imitate Christ is what he was saying. So let's let's go to the book of First Corinthians chapter four, verse ten. First Corinthians chapter four. In verse 10, we're going to read down through verse 16. We are fools for Christ's sake. What that means is we are made fools. We are thought of as fools for Christ's sake. But ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our hands, being reviled. We bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed. We entreat, we are made as a filth of the world and are the offscouring or the rubbish of all things unto this day. I write not these things in uh, things to shame you, but that, my, that as my beloved sons I warn you or I advise you. For through for though ye he, he, he have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet yet have not have ye not many fathers? For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you. Through the gospel, wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Now, he prefaced that little statement, wherefore, be ye followers with me, with all that other stuff. He was talking about being buffeted and talking about being talked about like he was just the, the trash on the side of the road. And that's how they were looking at Paul and the disciples and all those people of Jesus in that day. Like they were just the scum of the earth. <laughs> and then he, he says, uh, I'm suffering all this stuff, and you're going to suffer it too. And, but I came to encourage you to be followers of me. Go put up with some of this stuff i got to put up with. This is what it's going to cost you to serve Jesus Christ. So in studying this, I I could not get rid of this question in my mind. Paul says, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Did Paul know Jesus Christ? Growing up, did he know him? I don't read where he did. He might have known about him. Now, if you'll allow me to just speculate, this is not in the book, but this is just me. Paul was what? A Pharisee. And so he was in that group of guys, right? That's Probably coming up, he. the Bible says he came up under Gamaliel. And so it was a training program they had for Pharisees, right? And so all these other guys that came to Jesus, the one that buried Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus came by night. He was one of them. So somehow I think that Paul knew about Jesus. He knew about this group of people, Right? And, and it kind of bears out, if you read in the book of Acts chapter 9, we won't go there, but in the book of Acts chapter 9, it starts talking about right after Stephen was killed, because Paul was standing there, it said he was a young man, right? And he held all their coats while they stoned Stephen. So he was in on it. He was like the guy sitting in the car while the other guys went in to rob the bank. He was the getaway guy. He was holding their coats. And so right, you go right out of verse chapter eight into verse nine and it talks, starts talking right into about Paul persecuting and just going, going and getting letters and just, and taking them all to prison, even the women and children and just doing all this stuff. Right? So Paul knew who these Christians, these Jesus followers were. And he knew about Jesus, but he didn't personally, he wasn't one of the disciples that walked with him and knew him personally. Right? Just heard about him. And so Jesus comes and and in his plan, he he just takes Paul's eyesight away and starts talking to Paul out of thin air in front of a bunch of other guys that are with him who are all are going, Where is that voice coming from? But Paul's standing there, what does he say? Who art thou, Lord? He was a devout man. He might have been persecuting the Christians, but he was a devout Jew. He understood who the I am God was. And his only explanation in his mind, this is, once again, this is all speculation because it's not really in the book. His only, in his mind, that's why he said what he said. Who art thou, Lord? And if you look up that word, Lord, it means the I am. (laughs) Who art thou? I can't see you. I know you're a spirit, but. What do you want? He said, I'm calling you. You're going to be used. You're chosen. You're going to be used for my purposes. And so when Paul opened his eyes, he realized he couldn't see. So all his buddies walked him over to this guy's house, and he stayed there for three days. And then once you read that, it just jumps right to the next thing. He jumps right to... God talking to Ananias in a vision and telling him, "You're going to go tell this guy Saul that I'm going to use him." You know, and Ananias is like, "God, I I don't know if you know this or not, but he's that guy that was persecuting us." (laughs) God says, "I know, but I'm going to use him, and you're going to go tell him. You're going to baptize him while you're there." But to back up, three days he sat in that house and didn't eat anything. So if you go to the beginning of verse 10 in Acts. It goes right into Paul went boldly out preaching Jesus. As soon as he got baptized and his eyesight came back, the next day, it seems like the way the scripture's written, it's like the next day he went out and was just boldly preaching Jesus. And I'm going, wait a minute. How did he, how did he do that? Cause he, he hadn't had time to go to Bible school or anything. He did sit under Gamaliel. He knew the scripture. He knew the prophets, he knew this he knew that the pop the, the Bible talked about this man, you know, he knew Isaiah fifty three, he knew all these scriptures. Isaiah nine six, he knew all this stuff. He studied it. Now this is just me. The same God who could come in a in a moment and blind him and knock him to the ground and say, Why are you persecuting me? Right? The same God that came into your mind and gave you revelation of who he was when you went, aha, uh-huh, I gotta get baptized in Jesus name. Not just baptized in any old way. Oh, and I gotta get the Holy Ghost. Cause that's what that book says. And it only came by revelation. You might have been getting taught a Bible study, but God had to open your eyes and let you see it. Cause you were blind before. You couldn't see it. So I just think that for three days, Paul got an education from the Holy Ghost. How else could he know? Because those guys that were with him, they didn't know. They're just Jews like him. So it says that he didn't eat anything, and he just sat there for three days until Ananias showed up. So I just think God, God said he was calling him. And it, I know we can't understand it with our natural mind, but I think God put a lot of stuff in him in three days. Brought him up to speed, if you will. And he said, you're going to, he told him, he told him what things, I'm going to tell you what things you have to suffer for my namesake. And so I think God just schooled him in three days. You think God could do that? Absolutely. It doesn't make sense in our natural mind. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. He can't possibly know all that stuff before I do, because I've been doing this a lot longer than he has. No, we, we don't work in God don't work in our economy. He works in his own thing. So it makes sense, doesn't it, that Paul, Paul if he was going to be the guy that we know Paul today, then God had to bring him up to speed really quick. So anyway, got off that rabbit trail. So that's that's how, that's just what I believe. You know, Paul, because he's saying to the people, follow me as I follow Christ. Wait a minute. But, but he was not the example, wasn't he? He had to get it somewhere. So we're going to jump right into the next one, number three there. Jesus was loving. You know, there's a place in the Bible that says God is love. God is agape. And agape is the only kind of love that doesn't involve feelings or emotions and all this kind of stuff like philos and eros and all these other kinds of love in the Bible. God is, not God was love, God is love because he is the, the great, what, I am Not the I was, the self-existent one. So before we were, before Adam was ever even created, God is love. And so he, he he had to express his love somehow to something. And so he made us so that he could love us and give us the power of choice to love him back. Because if I, if I love I mean I could when I met her in 35 years ago I could have loved her all I wanted but if she didn't love me back it wasn't going to work right wasn't going to work I couldn't make her love me he he can't make us love him we have to choose to love him and so he has to choose you know bible says we love him why because he first loved us and he gave himself for us. So he is love. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. This could be any one of us. This is this is somebody coming to God. Go thy way, sell what with, whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up thy cross and Take up the cross and follow me. He loved him. He knew that he was trying to find a, another way. Uh, he said, Jesus, I've done all these things from my youth up. He said, yeah, you have done all those things, but there's one more thing that's required of you. Take up, Get rid of all your stuff. Get rid of all the stuff that's going to hold you back. And come and follow me. He loved him. Mark 20, Mark ten twenty one in the Amplified says, And Jesus, looking upon him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and accompany me, walking the same road that I walk. It's easier said than done, isn't it? You think about all the things that Jesus went through, the persecutions and all those things that Jesus went through. And he's asking, Paul's asking us the same thing. You know, this is the same Paul that was stoned and left for dead. This is the same Paul that was shipwrecked. This is the same Paul that was imprisoned. This is the same Paul that was beaten. And he's asking us to willingly go through that. It's not all the nice stuff. You know, it's just not. I'm not going to go into that, but there's if we are really followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to go we're going to suffer some things. He suffered. Jesus Christ suffered for our sake. And like I heard one preacher say how dare we say it's not fair that we have to suffer something? <laughs> do we do that? You don't have to admit it in front of the crowd here, but we do do it. Oh God, why do I have to go through that? Aren't I one of your kids? Don't, why do I have to go through stuff? I don't know about you, but I want to be perfected. <laughs> I don't want there to be left anything in me that's going to keep me from going there. I don't want to miss out on one thing he's called me to do, Sister Linda. I don't. And you shouldn't either. He didn't call us here to be spectators. All right. We're supposed to be on the field. In the game. Can I say it like that? That, that kind of Talks to our, where we are today. I mean, we, who will, who, who played sports in middle school, high school and, and loved sitting on the bench? No. You didn't go out for sports to sit on the bench. You know, you didn't go out there to be guard tackling in, right? Sit on the end of the bench, guard the water bucket and tackle anybody that tries to get to it. <laughs> we didn't do, that's not what we signed up for, brother Terry. We signed up to be. Soldiers in the battle. I, you know, it's not about being in the rear. I'm sorry. The battle's out there. we got to get in the battle. we got to get in the fight. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the... Life which I now live in the flesh, we still live in this life, in the flesh. I live it by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved me enough to give himself for me. He loved me enough, he loves me enough, present tense, to let me go through some stuff. Is that like an age thing? Is it? That started at a certain age and cut off at a certain age, so that all right, I went through that period where I had to go through some stuff. Now I'm, now I'm over here. I'm past that. No, it's not pastors back there going like this. <laughs> That's right. Paul suffered. The, the the disciples suffered stuff all the way up to the moment they died. <laughs> like I heard one man say, "What a retirement package they had." <laughs> They got to die for the sake of the gospel. They didn't get a retirement. They didn't get a hut in Tahiti. They didn't get none of that. One of them them got to suffer boiling boiled in oil and surviving it. But he loved us enough that he gave himself for us that we might get to go through that same stuff. It's all about the kingdom. It's not going to be... They're not going to come to the door here and say, look at those wonderful apostolic people that are, that are living that holy life and separated life. Why don't we all do that? They're not going to do that. They're going to persecute us. They're going to look at us like we're funny and strange and weird. Because to them, we are. And to us at one time, it seemed weird too. You know, I don't know why I'm going to do this, but I just feel like God's telling me to... Stop drinking. I don't know why I'm going to do this, but I just feel like he, he's just telling me to quit doing certain things. I don't, you know, anybody besides me ever been there? You know, I used to go to the gym and pump iron and stand in the mirror and do all this kind of stuff. And one day I was doing that and God's like, what are you doing? Who's getting the glory? Me or you? I mean, it, it's like, it's like from that day I quit doing that. Because God just like, hello, nothing wrong with being healthy. But I was I was, you know, it's like, you know, what I'm saying it's not about us. It's not about us. Look at me, God. <laughs> Look how good I am at this. Look how I mean, I'm using that one thing as an example. But we need you know, God loves us enough to. To tell us that something we're doing is not pleasing to him and we need to listen when he tells us that. It's not, it's, you know, it's all about him. It's, it's he gets the glory. If I get any glory, I'm supposed to do what with it? Give it to him because he loved me. He gave himself for me. It's, it's, it's all about him. He manifested God's love by completely giving of himself. And Jesus was forgiving. And he really was forgiveness. He was the epitome of forgiveness. He he came that we might have forgiveness. And he went about, he was not concerned, as it says there, with his own life, but for those that he was sent for. Luke chapter 23, verse 33 and 34. Luke 23, 33 and 34. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left, then said Jesus, Father... Now you gotta realize he's been beaten. His back was turned into what one man called a ploughed field. His face, the Bible says, had no 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 former hit they beat him so bad that his visage you couldn't recognize who he was. And all they spit on him and they shoved that crown of thorns down on his head I've, I've seen thorns like that in Panama. They, they told, they warned us about him. They said, once that goes through your hand, don't pull back the other way because it's got a hook on the end of it, a barb, and it'll just rip your hand off. It'll just rip a hole in your hand. So I've seen those kind of thorns and it just, it just doesn't, it just boggles the mind. If you think about it, if you really dwell on what he went through to get up on that cross, and then he says this, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Was that just for those people in that day? Not at all. There's some people out there right now, today, that are using God's name in conversation as a, and and using it as a foul language. They're taking his name in vain. They're speaking his name like it's just a curse word, just a, just a flippant curse word that they can just use at will. And they don't realize. Just like us that did that before didn't realize what we were doing and what we were saying. We are his creation. We're talking about him like he's a dog. And he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. He did that for us. He did, and in another place, it said, don't let that be counted toward, don't that be charged against them. That's the ultimate compassion right there. That's the ultimate love. That's the ultimate forgiveness. And so, in one other place, he said, if, if I've forgiven you, you ought also to forgive one another. Is that just us here in the church? Is it? That's just, we don't have to forgive anybody out there, do we? Oh, we do? When? Seventy times seven. Peter was trying to say, God, they're they're really being mean to me and and I'm I'm forgiving them, God, but, but I've forgiven them seven times. Is that enough? That's what he, this is, and Jesus said, no, Peter, how about 70 times 7? Seven? And he's like, he's playing with his abacus in his mind. He's like, what? That's 490 times. Jesus, that don't make no sense. That that means just keep on forgetting. Yeah, that's exactly what that means. Because by the time you get to 490 times, for, and if somebody's doing something that bad to you that many times, You're going to get tired after about a 100 and just walk away like, okay. Right? I'm done. I forgive, I forgive, I forgive. Is it just a matter of saying I forgive? Jesus didn't just flippantly say that when he's on the cross, did he? He meant it. And I think I got it on your paper there about uh, the Forgive and the Complete Word Study Bible Dictionary, basically down toward the bottom there, it says to send forth or send away, to let go from oneself. Wow. That's what forgive means. you got to let it go. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> right? Now, that's a cute little song that was in a movie, right? Well, some of you all may not know. Right? But what was the point of that? In that movie, it's the same thing. Let it go. Stop harboring things. Stop hanging on to stuff. If, you, if somebody's done you wrong and offended you and spit on you or whatever they've done to you and you're still thinking about it, you have not forgiven them. Casting all your care upon him. Does that mean you, everything you care about? You care about if somebody's being mean to you or calling you names or talking bad about you or slandering you or doing whatever they're doing to you. You care about that. Especially if they're doing it publicly. So what, to me, what that scripture saying is cast everything you care about on him. That's forgiveness right there. I, I take my hands off of it. Number one there, to dismiss, e.g., means what? For example, the multitudes of a wife, to put her away. He gave up the spirit, expired, and it goes on down there, and I've got highlighted number two, to let go from one's power, possession, to let go free, let escape. Metaphorically, to let go from obligation toward oneself. When you forgive, it, you have to let go of it forever. It doesn't change the fact that that you that, that you were done wrong. Does't the fact is that you were done wrong, but you have to let it go because that person might not even know that they've offended you. And so they've moved on in their life. They don't even realize what they said or done. So who's the one that's in bondage now if you're still hanging on to that? You are. That's why he's, that's why Jesus emphasized this. Forgive them. He was, he said that on the cross because he knew he needed to forgive all that they were, had done and were going to do to him and his future sons. Cause we, we just read that we were heirs of Jesus Christ, right? So we're his sons. We're his, direct heirs. And so he, if they're whatsoever you've done unto them, you've done it unto me. What Jesus said, right? Matthew. Whatsoever you do to the least of these, my brethren, that also you do unto me. So that means we're supposed to forgive like Jesus did unequivocally, without reservation, without hesitation. He, he, you know, the, he opened his arms wide and said, I forgive them. He showed us how much he loved us because he hung there for us. I heard one man say, He hung up for our hangups. Right? Because we all got some hangups. Right? Because we still live in this thing called the flesh, right? Every day. There's not a day goes by that I don't make a mistake, okay? Just telling you in case some, some of y'all probably already know that, one of you for sure. right? I won't say who. You can use your power of discernment and figure that one out. Well, maybe two. so so thank God for his forgiveness. Thank God for his forgiveness. If we don't do anything in our power to forgive as he forgave us, we will surely fall short of God's expectation for us. Because if you're busy holding on to some grudge and holding on to something or another, you're being held up from doing the will of God. It's holding you back. 1 Peter 1.13 tells us to gird up the loins of your mind. What does that mean? Well, I think I put it on the paper. The Weiss Word Studies puts it like this. It's not, it is not physical exertion that Peter has in mind here, but mental. If the purpose of girding up the clothing was to put it out of the way, that which would impede the physical progress of an individual, the girding up of the loins of the mind would be the putting out of the mind, all that would impede the free action of the mind in connection with the onward progress of the Christian experience. The Spirit leading you, right? Things such as worry, fear, jealousy, hate, and I underlined it in bolded that one. Unforgiveness. Wow. Unforgiveness can really hinder the work and in the, in the plan of God in, in, the, in the church and in life. Impurity. These things, like unforgiveness, I added that, harbored in the mind, prevent the Holy Spirit from using the mental faculties of the Christian in the most efficient manner, and thus from causing that believer to grow in a Christian life and make progress in his salvation. One little spirit of unforgiveness can just mess up your whole walk with God. I'm not harboring any unforgiveness. You better go check. better go ask God. I mean, there's scripture that you can read out loud. It's like a prayer. Search my heart, O God. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You tell me, God, because the scripture says I can't even know my own heart. But God does. And kind of going back to that whole concept of us going through trials and tribulations and troubles and God allows that so that what's in our heart will come out. Right? Because He wants, He loves us. He wants to help us to be as, as, Good and pure and right and ready as we can be. So really we, we, if we really want to serve God, if we really want to do all that he, if we want to really show his attributes, then we want him to put us through stuff so that those things that are in us will be exposed so that he can deal with it. Cause it's all, it's voluntary. We got to tell God, yeah, I, I got a problem in this area. Help me deal with it. Right? Nobody stood up here or at the altar where I was and with a gun to my head and made me repent. I had to do it willingly. I had to admit to some things. I had to say things like, God, there's stuff I don't even know I need to repent of, but whatever it is, it's here. Take it. I want the Holy Ghost. It's not worth me hanging on to all this stuff. I, I want, I want that. Right? He put our sin and our mistakes and our shortcomings behind him and covered them with his own blood that, so that he is blind to their ever having existed. He remembers them no more, the Bible says. When we forgive, we relinquish our right and ability to ever remember the thing that was forgiven, whether to us, the individual, or to God. Is that on your paper? Not on your paper? I should have put it on there. When we forgive, we relinquish our right and ability to ever remember the thing that was forgiven, whether to us, the individual, or to God. You gotta let go of it. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, as John taught his disciples to pray, one of the key things in the instructions that he was given them was to forgive. Forgive us our debts, forgive us our sins, or whatever. There's two different variations of that. As we forgive those who have trespassed against us, so you got to forgive first. Forgive as we forgive. It's it's you got to be the one forgiving first before He'll forgive yours. So if you're not, if you hold unforgiveness in your heart about anything, I don't care if it was 30 years ago, you are hindering God's ability to forgive you. Well, He forgave me of everything. And you haven't done anything since then. (laughs) Right? In another place, one of the Disciples asked Jesus about how frequently he should forgive. So I'm going to kind of end this on, on forgiveness, but we, you know, we, we got to, this can be something that can really hinder a church. It can hinder your walk. I mean, I, you know, I practice this where I work because I got customers that just, just, they're just humans. And they do things and they say things that just don't make any sense. And I watch some of the other people handle these situations, and they, to me, it's like, I got to even forgive them. I got to have that spirit and that attitude of forgiveness, even with the lady in Walmart that's not checking my stuff out right. I'm serious. You gotta have the spirit of forgiveness. Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. It's what Jesus said. I hate going through that line. I'm never gonna go through that line. That lady, she does it wrong every single time I go. I'm gonna find a different cashier next time. Nobody's ever said that in their mind. I'm not gonna to go to that restaurant anymore. That waitress is horrible. Right? Am I, am I being, is this real? I'm not making it up. What if we need to just forgive them anyway? And love them anyway? And give them a nice tip anyway? And bless them? And they're going, they're walking back there with their huge tip going, I know I was a terrible waiter. I don't know why they gave, those are some awesome people. Right? So there's a lot of situations we got to forgive that we don't even think about. That guy, he cut me off, man. He's on the highway every morning. He's a, That same guy cuts me off at the ramp every morning. Now, I'm not saying that happens to me. I'm just saying. And he's, I don't know what's going on in his life. He might... He, he might, his mother might be dying. I don't know what's going on in his life, but it's not my place to, to pass judgment on him. Cause they're watching me too. The other drivers. Well, that guy cut him off, but he sure went, you know, he's got road rage, right? We gotta forgive. Every situation, every, it's like you gotta think about it constantly. You don't pick and choose when you get to forgive. Thank goodness Jesus didn't do that, right? Praise God. So next Sunday, I'm going to try to talk about number five, six, and seven, which is committed. Jesus is committed. He's prayerful, and he's gentle or meek. So any questions, any comments? Praise God. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this day, for this opportunity to be before your people. I pray that something I've said has been a blessing to somebody. And we pray for the remainder of this service that you would have your mighty way among us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Break. Time.